We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sparrow, recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Thank you, team. You guys have an awesome worship team. Don't you think? I grew up in church. I've been in a lot of church, and that's not always the case. <laughs> so you guys are blessed. So I hope that you thank them for their sacrifice. Um, they actually spend hours preparing for Sundays. Some people think that um, worship teams and production teams just show up without thinking about it. It's not the case. <laughs> we, uh, at our church back home, we, uh, we set up at, let me, you, you can sit down. Just go ahead and sit down. I just, I'm, I'm into it already. Our church back home, we, we get there early, we pack in, and then we pack out. And so when people get to church, we've already been having church for a little over three hours, three and a half hours. And, they, and then they come and they wonder why we're yelling and screaming and jumping and dancing. They're like, man, I'm, I just, I'm just struggling to get my family here this morning. Little do they know we've been having church for three hours already. Um, and so thanks teams uh, for sacrificing preparing a place for people to enter in freely. Man, my voice is kind of shot. Not because I'm sick, but because Shout Conference was awesome. Yeah? You know, let's have a good time at Shout Conference. Who else was there? Yeah, I was screaming. I was yelling like I meant it. Friday night, I just went for it. Us leaders were praying for people to receive their prayer language, and so I was just yelling in tongues. If that freaks you out, it freaks me out a little bit too. Um, but super spiritual doesn't have to be super spooky. Um, it's just the normal life that we live as Christians is not so normal. Cool. Um, but hey, uh, first of all, thank you, New Zealand as a whole. Uh, we, we are now leading Equipper Central Coast in California, which is the greatest privilege of my life. Um, I'm honored to be among uh, Pastor Willie and Desiree and Francesco and all the other generals and legends uh, that lead Equippers churches. So it really is an honor and a privilege, and I don't take it lightly. Um, but really, New Zealand has paved the way for us in the United States. And I, I mean this wholeheartedly that we look to you guys um, in, our, in our meetings, in our, our messages, in our, our sermons, whatever it is, we use New Zealand as an example. And I tell my friends that New Zealand is a test market for what God could do in the United States. And if you know anything about business, if you know anything about business, when you're launching a business, you choose an area as your test market to see if that thing would work on a large scale. I've seen the gospel work in New Zealand. I've seen Equippers Church work in New Zealand, and I look to it as a test market for what God could do in the United States of America. All you have to do is multiply the population by like a thousand. <laughs> Easy, right? No problem. Um, but thank you so much, Pastor Willie. Uh, for having me, trusting me uh, on your platform, I, I consider it a privilege. And I was just thinking during worship that this is the best church ever because it's pastored by a servant. Um, Willie has a heart to serve. Um, he, Willie was with us um, at our launch in October of last year, and uh, he was there with, with Pastor Bruce, and Willie asked if he could come and help set up. And so I, I picked Willie up about 6.30 in the morning, and and he shows up, and we're rolling road cases off the truck and preparing a place for our launch Sunday. And um, it's not just case by case either. This guy's consistent. He always serves. And I was thinking about it just now. And I think the way, the reason why this church is so awesome is because even in the way that he leads a service, he doesn't let the program lead. He knows how he needs to serve people in that moment. It's why that sometime this morning we went a little bit long, and even just now, he just knew that there was a, a, another edification that we needed, a higher place we could go, and he knew how to serve the people in that moment. So be thankful that you belong to a church that's led by a servant, because it's not always the case. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, stand up. Okay, sit down. Yeah, of course. 
mean it. Um, I've got some technology stuff working on up here. Let's just see if it works. Tell me if you recognize this man. It's really small, but that's my dad, Pat. You guys know my dad, Pat? Um, that was us last month in Rome. Woo! Um, speaking of Rome, again, I consider it so humbling that I'm even on the same platform as Pastor Francesco. Um, if you go to Rome, you get a sense of the undertaking that this really is. It's a big city. It's a lost city. Um, all the more reason to have a thriving church in the middle of it. And we're believing with Equippers Rome that there's going to be significant ministries that flow out of that place that touch their nation and the nations of the earth. So we're behind you all the way, man, celebrating you as you celebrate us. Cool. Um, the guy at the airport uh, on the way here, he said, where are you headed? I said, Dunedin. He said, oh, that's where I went to school. Two things about Dunedin. It's where I learned to drink. And it's where I learned how to endure the cold. I thought, what an awesome place for a church, right? <laughs> You're where the need is. Anyways. Um, I, did, I felt like something, this is going to be a long intro, is that all right? I, I just felt like something for this church um, earlier in the week. I'm not going to speak on it, but I'm just going to mention the verse. And it was funny, Willie mentioned it this morning, um, kind, of, kind of just in passing, kind of as a joke, but it's Psalm 4610. It says, be still and know that I am God and I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. And in the past, I've always looked at the word still as like resting, right? You be still and you go to sleep and snore. <laughs> That's the other thing about Pastor Willie, he snores. <laughs> we went to a Laker game last October, shared a hotel room, and uh, it was loud. It was very loud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always praising. Um, but and, uh, unfortunately, in our day and age, um, people ask the questions like, are you still married? Like, it's kind of a shame that that's even a question. Or they say, oh, are you still going to the gym? And so instead of still being a resting word, it's a consistency word. And I just, I just felt in my spirit for this church specifically that um, in your consistently, God will be exalted among the nations. Um, that as you keep showing up, you keep doing your thing, you keep dreaming, you keep serving, that God will be exalted in this place and make himself known. And it's not the striving, thriving it's not the in your own strength type of thing. You guys are resting in the consistency and trusting that God will be exalted in the city. And he will. Amen. The other thing last night as we were getting to dinner, Willie was talking about kind of some plans and dreams and future. And the, just a hospital popped into my mind. I asked him, hey, is this hospital being built? And he said, no, but, you know, we kind of need a new hospital. And so I just started pondering that. And what I took that as is, is that as this church grows and expands, you're going to take business away from hospitals. I, I see this as a place of healing. This is a house of healing. Miracles, signs and wonders are going to break out in this space. Um, not just in this space, but in workplaces, at schools, on the campus, across the street. The hospital, they'll be all right. God will take care of them. Don't worry if you're a doctor or a nurse. You will have a job, maybe. <laughs> But I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I've seen God too many, do too many miracles. I believe he can't do it again, right? And then this house will be marked as a place of miracles, signs, and wonders. Amen? Cool, I'm going to get into it. First, I'm going to pray. Um, and then I'm going to talk for 20 to 80 minutes. And then, um, and then I'll pray again. And then we'll go eat. Cool? Cool. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this evening. I just invite your Holy Spirit to come and lead. Jesus, I thank you that while I was far off and of no use to you, you still chose to die for my sins. And so, God, tonight I, I choose um, to be a vessel. You make me qualified. Your grace is sufficient. Lord, I ask that each person would hear in their own language tonight what they need to hear, that your Holy Spirit would go far above and beyond anything that could come through this microphone, that your truth would set people free tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here we go, Matthew 15. Can everyone see? I got fancy with technology. I made this a, a, a presentation. Pretty fancy, huh? Matthew 15. 
This is the most encouraging thing you're going to hear, all right? Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Are you encouraged? Right? Are you encouraged? Does that just bless your spirit? Usually when I read the Bible, I'm thankful that I'm not the one either being asked a question or put in a certain scenario, right? When God asked Solomon uh, to ask of him anything and he will give it to him, I'm like, man, I'm glad I wasn't Solomon because I'd be asking for crazy stuff, right? Where he asked for wisdom, I'd be asking for more shoes and, and more cars and money and like things to make me look good on the outside. I'm really glad I wasn't Solomon in that situation because I wouldn't have responded as well, right? And I'm glad I wasn't Abraham because I wouldn't leave my own town Glad it wasn't Noah. I wouldn't have probably built the ark, right? There's a lot of times where I'm reading scripture. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm not that guy. Like, you know, forgive them for they know what they, not what they do. And I'm like, they know what they do. Don't forgive them. Slap them. <laughs> Just being honest. See, but in this situation with Jesus and this lady, I think I could have done better. If a lady has a need, her daughter's demon-possessed, and me and my Christian goodness, I would have at least paid attention to her. I would have given her the time of day. I would have probably prayed with her, believed with her. But here's Jesus, our compassionate, gracious, mercy, merciful king, ignoring, excluding, and calling a woman a little dog. It's kind of confusing. But I, I just want to talk about this passage for... A little bit and this message actually is about community that's why I called it you me and Jesus because sometimes I think that we think when we read scripture that we are the central the the epicenter of all that Jesus is doing <laughs> sometimes we think that that what he's doing what he's saying and what he's breathing on is just about us it's just me and my world and I read scripture and I'm like man that 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 pertains to me so well <laughs> me and my little life <laughs> But really, you realize that there's, there's the spirit of Jesus is in a room like this. Jesus himself appears. I believe that every time we gather that Jesus shows up. And he's not just about me right now. And I hate to break it to you, but he's not just about you right now. <laughs> See, what Jesus is doing in, in this passage, I'm going to explain this, is that Jesus is showing up to his disciples as rabbi, as teacher. He's showing up to this woman as Messiah and Savior. See, but there's things that happen in a group dynamic, in church, if you will, in community, that we have to take the position of agreeing on one thing. That's why it's you, me, and Jesus. And so, um, I'll just break this down. We're going to start the woman. The woman's over here. First of all, it's weird that Jesus was talking to a woman, because as Willie already explained, culturally, he wasn't supposed to be talking to women. It wasn't correct. It wasn't right. And, um, and, 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 and he wasn't supposed to be talking to this Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, because that wasn't okay either. And, 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 and he's Jewish. He's Greek. How was he even talking Greek, right? Because he's Jewish. But there's this cool old story about how in a town about four miles away from where Jesus grew up, and we know he was a carpenter, there was this theater being built. And theologians think that Jesus would have went to work at this theater, and there would have been a lot of Greeks building this theater as well as tradesmen. So Jesus would have learned Greek while he's building this theater. And can I just let you know, you may not think where you're supposed to be is where you're supposed to be, but let me tell you that God is preparing you for something. See, Jesus just went to build a theater, but little did he know. I, actually, I can't say that because he was God. He knew. <laughs> right? He was greeting, learning Greek because he knew he was going to have an encounter with a Greek woman. I loved how I was just hanging out with my friend Michael in Auckland, and, and he's just recently back to church. It's an answered prayer of mine. Um, if you didn't know, I did uh, Quippers College in 2009. And while I was there, any other Quippers College students? Just Pastor Willie. Come on, people. Get, get up there. 
And uh, Michael was in my youth, and uh, he gave his heart to Jesus. He got saved in that year, and I watched him grow and progress. But there was a period in his life where he walked away from the church, and I don't know why. But I was back in town in March, and he came to church, and I was in Auckland. And then now he's serving in church. He's on the hospitality team. It's amazing. It's an answer to prayer. And I start thinking, Michael, what are you going to do with your life? And uh, Michael, it's kind of funny, but he works at Miss Higgins Cookie Shop on Queen Street. And um, I'm thinking, man, you're 24 years old, and sorry if this offends someone, you gotta work it somewhere better than the cookie shop. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, he's also a cricket player. He does really well at cricket. So he's working at a cookie shop. He's playing cricket, and God just opened a door for him to become a cop. And so it, he puts this all together. Man, at the cookie shop, I learned people skills. I'm talking to people all day. That's a great attribute for a cop. In cricket, I'm in great shape. That's definitely a good attribute for a cop. And so little did he know in the cookie shop and playing cricket that God was preparing him to be a cop. It's pretty amazing how God works all things together for our good. Would you agree? And so Jesus is in this peculiar situation and the onlookers, his disciples and those around would say, this guy is, it's kind of awkward. It's a unique situation. But how do you know that as Christians, we should be a little bit peculiar, right? I think sometimes we, we try to be a little bit too much normal, but God's actually called us to a supernatural life, a peculiar life. So many of my friends cannot figure out what my wife and I do. <laughs> Why are you traveling so much? I'm traveling 50,000 miles in, in like, eight weeks or something. It's a lot, right? Nine weeks. I don't know. We'll go to London next month. And I mean, people can't figure it out. A lot of this is out of our own pocket. You know, we just do it. We believe in it. We're going for it. So it's peculiar. And uh, I, bought a, I bought a little truck recently because um, that's what you do when you're American. You drive trucks. It's just we, we can't help it. It's a disease. And I had gone without it for so long. But I told my friend who sells cars, hey, find me a little truck, a used one, just something I could, it's a ute, I guess you guys would say. And so he finds me this one in Los Angeles and we go down to this man's house in Los Angeles who was selling this little truck and um, he was the most Russian Russian that's ever Russian to before. He was very Russian. His name was Ogani and his son's name was Archie. And uh, so we start talking and the truck looks great, really love the truck. And I said, yeah, I'd like to purchase this from you, sir. And so he starts showing me around and he flips up the back seat. It's got some compartments in there and he was across the truck and he said, yeah, in that compartment, that's where I keep my gas mask. And I, I thought he was kidding. That's funny, right? That someone keep a gas mask in their truck. And so just didn't think about it. So uh, my friend Caleb and I, we drive off, we stop and we stop on the side of the road. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, is there actually a gas mask in this, in this vehicle? And so I've, sure enough, I open the back seat compartment and there's a gas mask, a Russian military gas mask. So it's a big, scary horror movie rubber with the things on it, gas mask. That's not normal. <laughs> and all of a sudden I don't trust this Russian man. And I think to myself, what does this guy know that I don't know, <laughs> right? What's this guy know that I don't know? And in the United States, there's all this conspiracy and weird stuff going on with the Russians and all that. And I just try and stay uninvolved and, and go to New Zealand as much as I can. Um, and so, I, I, man, what does this guy know that I don't know? But if that thing happens, I'm going to be all right because I've got a gas mask now and he doesn't, right? <laughs> and I started to think, is there anything about my life that makes people think, what does that guy know that I don't? See, Jesus was interacting with people that was a bit peculiar, maybe not quite up to some people's standards or likings. And the onlookers would say, what does this guy know that I don't know? So that's a little bit of background of, of who this lady is, the Canaanite. And um, we also have another party involved. That was the disciples. We'll just say the disciples are on this side. And uh, leading up to this in Matthew 14, jo uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples about simple hygiene, about washing hands. You guys heard this? Even disciples have to learn how to wash hands. Because when people were upset, hey, these guys aren't washing their hands. And, and he said, well, it's not really on the, what's on the outside that makes you clean. It's what comes out of you uh, that makes you unclean. And, and so he was teaching they asked him, would you explain this to us out of the disciples' mouth? And so sometimes when there's like a, 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 a chapter change, we think it's, it's a different scenario in another land far, far away. But this was a continuation of Jesus teaching his disciples. And so this woman 
She turned into an object lesson to the disciples. Living, breathing, real. Object lesson. It just wasn't coming out of Jesus' mouth. It was right in front of them. Hey, let me show you about this clean and unclean thing. And so the story goes on and it says, uh, Canaanite woman from the city came to him crying out and she, her daughter's demon possessed. It's a terrible situation. There's a great need. And we see here that Jesus first ignores her. And so here's the disciples over here. Their background is that this, is, this message is only for the Jews. They're, they're the only ones who are worthy of this salvation and also not women. That's not okay either. And so they have, anyone in this room, a Jewish man. Exactly. This was an exclusive gospel that they had believed in their heart. And so here they are on this side and Jesus ignores her and they're like, ha, got him. You know, like he's not gonna pay attention either. She's not worthy. Jesus is on our side. Thanks, bro. Yeah, good stuff. We'll just continue on now. And then, and then, and so they agree, hey, get her out of here. She's, she's being annoying. She keeps crying. And then Jesus again, rudely says to this woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So now it's even more exclusive. Out of the mouth of Jesus himself, he's telling this woman, no, no, you're, you're, you're not worthy. But if I could fill in some gaps, have you ever been around a demon-possessed person? <laughs> they're loud. <laughs> and they're crazy. I'm, I've only prayed for a demon-possessed person one time. It was awesome. But he was like on the floor, like tongue sticking out, flopping on the ground. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, just, but it worked out. But they're loud. And, and I would guess that this lady's demon-possessed daughter wasn't too far away. And you could hear her screaming. You could hear her hitting the ground. You could hear her rolling around. And I think at that point, whereas Jesus is always coming in this, as the superhero in the past, the disciples start looking at this woman's situation and think, huh, do I really, is that really what I believe? Like, like when there's a need right in front of me, is, it, is that really what I believe? And so Jesus is giving these men an opportunity to examine if this is really, are these really the boundaries that you put on the gospel? Like, like do, you, do you not see the need? But it, it goes even further. It says the woman came and knelt before him in a posture of worship and said, Lord, help me. And he replied, this is mean. This is really mean. I would have done better. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So now they're thinking, dang. <laughs> I don't know if all this prejudice that I built up in my heart is really okay. I, I don't know if all this segregation and racial separation and sexism, I don't know if that's really okay when there's a need right in front of my face. Yeah? Because who needs the doctor? The sick people. So Jesus said. And so here's a living, breathing example right in front of their face. And I know in that moment that they started to examine themselves. Man, I thought there was going to be some people that weren't included in this thing. But here goes Jesus, as faithful as he is. She comes back again. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's persistent. She's amazing. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. And he looked at his disciples. Got him. Drop the mic. And you think, man, that, that was still kind of mean of Jesus to put this lady through su such a situation. Maybe. But culturally, and I guess it would still be considered that it's honorable to put through someone through a test. See, a good coach puts his best runner in the hardest race, right? And it, it's considered a position of honor if you're given a task, if you're given, given a test. And, and so little do we know, and you know, in our Western minds, this is just offensive, but really Jesus doesn't just heal her daughter. He actually honors her by saying that, you, you know what, you're even worthy to have your faith tested. And maybe someone needs to hear that. You're even worthy to have your faith tested. And here we sit in the same room. 
And right now, Jesus is being rabbi to somebody and he's being savior to someone else. Same God. Right now, someone's sitting in here and they, they're thinking, man, God provided for that person. Why hasn't he provided for me? See, it's the same God. Just, just right now, he's being provider for one person and he's teaching you patience on the other side of the room. See, this isn't a preference game. This isn't a me game. Dang, this is kind of harsh. I'm, I'm a pastor now, so I got to say these kind of things. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> he had to reveal these things to his disciples that they would get rid of their prejudice that they have accumulated in their heart and the boxes that they'd built around this gospel. And can I just say, if you're desperate, stay desperate. Be persistent. This woman did not give up. If God's testing your faith, just keep faithing. I promise he will provide. I've seen too much to ever think, think that he won't. But here's the other thing. If you are divided, you gotta come together. And if you have kept bitterness, unforgiveness, and things in your heart, can I give you a promise? Is that sometimes, like he did here, God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. He will put people into your life that will actually offend your thinking. They will offend everything that you've ever thought about the gospel. They will offend everything you've ever thought about the church. And they will instantly, in the moment, reveal where your heart is really at. Is your heart for people or not? Maybe something in church changes and you're offended in your mind. And then you have to think, am I really for people or not? Am I really for this God thing or, or, or am I not? Because it's all about the heart. This church is about heart. The gospel is about heart. Our lives are about heart. If it's not about heart, I don't want to be a part of it. Right? So God is in the process of unifying his church. My mind was offended one time. I mean, that's fun. See, I grew up in a a surfing community. Any surfers in here? Anybody surf? One three-year-old and this guy. Awesome. <laughs> the thing about the surf culture in California is it is very closely related to a drug culture. They run hand in hand. And so I innocently started surfing when I was a young kid and my mom would drop me off after school every single day from the time I was 12 years old. And uh, I would surf every day after school. Saturday, I was there all day. Sunday, I have to go to church or else I get a spanking. And then I would go surf. And uh, so I, I, I accumulated some really genuine friendships, just really good people. Um, but as we got older, these people, um, they, they got into some heavy stuff. And majority of my friends, it's hard for me to think of one friend. May, I maybe have three friends that came from a complete family. Maybe three out of all my friends. They come from brokenness. Uh, one of my friends, his dad asked him um, one day if he would walk him to the bus stop. And uh, my friend walked his dad to the bus stop. His dad took his bags, hopped on the bus and said, hey, I'll never see you again. Hopped on the bus and he was gone. Another one of my friends, his dad on his birthday when we were, I believe it was his eighth birthday, his dad murdered a man around the corner from his birthday party and he's in prison for the rest of his life. Uh, another one of my friends, he watched his brother shoot himself in the head and has been traumatized ever since. And so these friends, with their accumulation of pain, turned to substance. And uh, sadly, that, that's usually the result of such things. And so as we got older, I, I stayed very close, but I didn't necessarily get into their world. Maybe I messed around a little bit. Um, don't tell my parents. But I, I, I kept myself as good as I could. But as I got older, I, I, I got a relationship with God. And, and just so you know, I, I didn't plan on this. This wasn't my plan in life to have a microphone. It's actually my greatest fear in the world to public speak, believe it or not. It's my number one fear. It wasn't my plan to be a pastor, a leader, youth pastor, senior pastor, worship pastor, any of those things that are under my belt now. It's none of these things that I planned on doing. All I knew is that I had broken people in my life that needed hope, they needed savior, they needed freedom. And so I went to Bible college and they asked me, why are you at Bible college? And I seriously thought, so I can go sit on the same curb I came from and be a transformed person. That, that was my dream, that was my hope. 
And so I did Bible college. I went back and my friends were deeper in this stuff than I'd ever seen. Heavy drugs, heroin, meth. I don't know if you guys know anything about drugs. I had a great talk with the Uber driver the other day about drugs in New Zealand. If you can't relate on Jesus, relate on something. All right? <laughs> He'll be in church one day. Um, and, and so they were deep in this thing. And so one night, I had the audacity to invite this friend Matt to church. It was a night like this. I th- it was a Wednesday night, but it was, a, it was about half this size and half the seats. And, and there was a man preaching, and I invited Matt to church. But a few months leading up to this, God had given me a promise about Matt's life. And he was still a drug addict, but I would go to his house every single day. I would give him rides to where he needed to go. And uh, one time I took him to buy a Bible and he, w- he was high as a kite. And it was, it was very awkward taking this high as a kite young man into a Christian bookstore. <laughs> this is like PG-13, is that all right? <laughs> but there was a promise about Matt's life. And so I invited Matt to come to church one night. Matt didn't have a car, didn't have a ride. So he asked our friend Christian if he would give him a ride to church. Now, Christian was an even deeper case. Christian was only 18 years old at the time. He had just stolen thousands of dollars from his parents. He gotten caught. He was dealing and, dealing and doing heroin. And he had never been to church in his life. Unchurched, broken, addicted. And so Christian gives Matt a ride to church. And Christian thinks, well, you know, I don't want to go and then turn around and come back and get Matt. I'll just come in. And so I'm sitting at the back and Christian, Matt's on my left side. Christian's on my right side. And in my mind up to this point, Christian was a lost cause. I believed in God. Can I tell you? Christian was a, a, a Canaanite woman to me. She, the gospel was good, but it wasn't that good. Right? Like, like God's amazing, but he's not that amazing. So here's Matt on my left side, Christian on my right side. I don't remember what the preacher said. I don't remember what song was played or what happened. But all of a sudden, Christian initiated this. He said, man, I, need, I feel like I need to go to the front. And Matt said, I feel like I need to go to the front. And so I walked down the aisle. It's just like this. There were two aisles in that building. We walked down this aisle. We knelt at the front. They wept, gave their hearts to Jesus. We're freed from drugs on the spot. Come on, that's worth clapping. <clears throat> It was the second best night of my life. First was my wedding night. (laughs) How awesome is my wife, by the way? Isn't she pretty? She can't really see good. That's why she married me. She can see fine. She just just sees past all the stuff. Um, So get this, that's not the end of the story. So Matt's newly saved, set free from drugs. And by the end of the night, we were doing this weird thing that I've never done before. Uh, the three of us, or it was just me and Matt, and we were, we were jumping in the air. And it was some crazy experience. We were trying to push each other into the ground. And so we were like jumping and screaming and just yelling because he was free, you know. And, and we were just trying to push each other into the ground. It was so bizarre, but we were excited. And so we come down from this whole thing. And uh, Matt has a conclusion as any Christian should, that other people need this. Other people need this. Other people need this. And so the following Monday night, I say, hey, we can open up my office. At the time we had our offices, I was a youth pastor, I think, at the time. I don't know. I was just like an honorary staff guy because I wasn't doing drugs. And so... Um, <laughs> And so I said, we can open up my office on Monday night, invite some friends over, and, and we'll share the gospel, and they'll get saved. And Matt said, yep, easy. In the back of my head, I was thinking, yeah, that's, that's too good to be true. That's a Canaanite woman. God's good, but he's not that good, is he? And so sure enough, Monday night comes, and seven of our friends show up to my office. It is the most stale, awkward environment ever. There's no worship it's brick walls. I have one chair and like a small couch. And I say, okay, Matt, um, go ahead. <laughs> this guy's been saved four days. And so Matt, he tells people what happened. All of a sudden, everyone starts crying. <laughs> and he just said, God loves you so much. He died for your sins. There's freedom in Christ Jesus. I remember there was four girls and three guys. And get this, there was a smoke break intermission. I'm serious. 
I recently found a list of paper from that night in my office, and it was the list of everyone who's there. And I said, I said, uh, what do you want to get rid of, and what you what do you want your future to look like? And it's it's in my office, and half of those were I want to quit smoking. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Wasn't I want to quit heroin or meth? I just want to quit smoking. Anyways, one of the guys was schizophrenic, and. Um, he, uh, he's still on a journey, and that, that same guy, he, he, uh, he, throughout time, had sent me death threats and had um, said some heavy things, right? So this is a room full of crazy people. <laughs> but Matt starts talking about the love of God. He said that you're never too lost, that he can't find you. You're never too broken, that love can't save you. You're never too addicted, that his truth can't set you free. Simple truths. They just broke down, and in that moment, all seven people that showed up in my office gave their hearts to Jesus. That's all. Come on, clap. See, sometimes Jesus has to offend our minds to reveal where our heart really is. Does he really love people that much? <clears throat> I'm just going to skip ahead. Is that all right? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm just talking about love. I've never, uh, usually when you go away, you, you think of some sexy sermon. Um, but I just, Francesco's message was fresh this morning. I think it was so timely, don't you? He got that message this morning. It's just incredible. I just felt the same thing yesterday as I was, I was preparing. Just, there's just a fresh word of whatever this church needs. I just want to serve it. Um, and so 1 Corinthians 13 is this love passage and um, typically it's used at wedding ceremonies, right? We hear that about the, uh, if I have the tongues of men and angels, but I have love, I'm nothing and it goes on, love is patient, love is kind, it's long suffering, it rejoices in the truth and then we clap at the end of the wedding and we eat, right? But Paul's intention for writing this passage was actually for a lifestyle, not just a ceremony. Um, his intention was that we would read this passage and get a grid as Christians how we should actually live our lives. And usually most translation, translations, verse 12, verse 31 says, and I will show you a more excellent way, which is a great, great term. With this guy named Kenneth Bailey, who's an incredible theologian, I've studied his stuff a little bit, he talks about up until this point, Paul and his friends had been trying to come up with a word that adequately describes the love of God. Up to that point, they had um, uh, uh, phileo love, brotherly love, the, the Philadelphia, right? In West Philadelphia, more. Yeah. That's brotherly love, phileo love. And then there was this eros love, that's passionate love. That's like, could be like a religious zeal or a romantic type of love. But as Paul was writing, he thought these two words are not adequate just to describe what I have experienced. They're not adequate, but there is one time in Song of Solomon and a few other rare occasions in ancient Greek that this word agapo was used, what we now know as agape. And every time it was used, it spoke of uh, heights, it spoke of a ascending to somewhere. It, it talked of a higher way. And so Paul and his friends thought this is an excellent translation for this type of love that we've experienced and the type of love that we are to live, a higher way. Something, something that ascends above just, just, just eros love and phileo love. This, this is the agapo love. This is, this is the higher way. And so I love this translation of, of 12 verse 31. Kenneth Bailey translates this, I will give you directions for a journey over a mountain pass. Correctly translated, I will show you a, a more excellent way is, is translated, I will give you directions for a journey over a mountain pa pass. I don't know if you know anything about climbing mountains, but it is hard work. <laughs> Would you agree? It's strenuous. It takes planning. You have to plan out the weather, the timing, the, right? And then, it, and then it's hard work, but man, is it rewarding from the top. The views from the top of a mountain are unbelievable. We got to see Pastor Willie's house today, and I could stand out there and look from the top of this mountain all day. It's gorgeous. It just makes you dream. It makes you ponder. It gives you perspective. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about getting on top of a mountain is the perspective that you really get. All of a sudden, you feel really small, <laughs> 
and God seems really big. And so he gives us this interpretation that I will give you directions for a journey over a mountain pass. And he goes on to say, man, if you're gifted, if you give everything, but you don't have love, it's really nothing. It doesn't mean much. If you have, and I'm not saying that this isn't the case here, it definitely is the case here, but if you have awesome services and programs and worship teams, but you don't have love, it's not really worth anything, is it? See, see if we gather in this room, but the prejudices in our heart towards the world out there still remain, it's not really worth anything, is it? If we come to church on Sunday, but Monday's not changed, it's not really worth anything, is it? It's patient, it's kind, rejoices with the truth, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. And this love, it never fails. So he's talking about heights. So why would it matter that he's talking about heights? Why would heights matter to a church, a community, the ones who are working through issues together and going the hard miles through preferences and segregations, whatever it is. I don't know what the case is, but sometimes in a community, stuff comes up. My way versus your way. My preference versus your preference. And so in that, we have an option to choose the higher way that agrees on one thing. We love Jesus and we love people. I know it's simple, but it's profound. See, there's, there's still a higher way when there's quarreling among you, as Paul often talks about. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a thing here. I'm just saying as Christians, this is stuff we deal with. So why would it matter that as a community, as a church, that we actually do the hard miles together? Why would it matter that as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, but how I many know sharpening iron, actually it cuts a bit, it hurts a bit. Why would it matter that instead of getting bitter, we get better? Why would it matter that we forgive people when they actually don't deserve it? Why would it matter that we rise above our preferences and our opinions in the boxes we put around the gospel of Jesus? Why does it matter that much? It's because Jesus said something about his church. He said something about his church. He said that you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. How do you get to a hilltop? <laughs> How do you get to a hilltop? You climb. You climb the heights of love. You do the hard miles. You do the hard work. You sacrifice. You put others' way in front of your way. It's always patient. It's always kind. It's long-suffering. We rejoice together when the truth wins out, don't we, church? And as we make these decisions, we climb this hilltop. And see, the city looks in here and they see, man, these people are peculiar. They have something that I not know of yet. These people, what do they know that I don't know? Because they, they love each other. Jesus said himself that you will be defined by the way that you love each other. That's how they will know you are my disciples. And so as Equippers Church in Dunedin, I, I know you are a church of influence. I know you are the hilltop type of church because you've committed to this lifestyle of love. It's amazing. Lene and I just feel at home here because there's such a love. But I challenge you tomorrow at work, tomorrow at school, you are still Equippers Church. You still have a journey to the hilltop tomorrow when you're waking up your children. You're still Equippers Church. And this is the call of all, all, our, all our churches, our family, worldwide, that we'd be like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, a place of refuge, a place of hope. But it takes some climbing. It takes some climbing. It takes some times when we feel offended. <laughs> when we're looking over here at the, at the Canaanite woman and thinking, no, that's, that's, too, that's too far for God. That's, that's not how I pictured my future, but God is saying that this is my future. That's offensive. When you plan your own ways and then God comes in with a curveball. That can be offensive. But in those moments, you have to let God offend your mind so he can reveal your heart. He calls the shots around here. And he's so loving. He's so kind. 
maybe to right now that you're in that patient zone and someone else is in the provision zone. Can I tell you to hold on? And if he's being rabbi, don't close your eyes. If he's being rabbi, if he's teaching you, if there is a lesson in front of you with flesh and blood, don't close your eyes. Don't look away. Don't ignore. Don't run the other way. Because we're on a journey to the hilltop. The hilltop has influence. And it's not like the world influences. This is a love influence. See, what else is awesome about the heights is, is the perspective that you get. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, when we commit to this life of love and we, we climb the mountain tops, we now get a revelation that we're seated with Christ Jesus. When you go to build something, what's the first step? It's usually a bird's eye view drawing, isn't it? An architect. It's really hard to build something from within. You kind of have to build something from up here. And I used to think that when I, like my help comes from above and to set my minds on, on things above, that this was me pondering what heaven is like and then hoping something might happen on earth. The promise is that I'm actually seated with Christ Jesus. So I'm in heaven zone. This church is heaven zone. And we know where the need is because we have the perspective to see where the need is. And it's no longer a desperate plea for God to do something. It's that in heaven, there's no cancer. So on earth, there will be no cancer. See, in heaven, you realize that there are no divisions. There's no prejudice. And so on earth, there will be no divisions. There will be no prejudices. See, in in heaven, this perfect love has cast out all fear. So on earth, perfect love will cast out all fear. See, in, in heaven, there's not broken families anymore. So as we're seated with Christ, if we climb the heights of love, we now see, okay, I'm going to fight for a generation that doesn't have broken families anymore. See, in, in heaven... There's, there's no more addiction. So I'm, I'm committing my life that now there would not be addiction in Dunedin anymore because it doesn't exist in heaven, so why would I be satisfied that it exists in Dunedin anymore? <laughs> Seated with Christ in the heavenly places. What time is it? I've gone over, I'm sorry. I'm gonna wrap up. Jesus come to anyone as a rabbi tonight? I know he did for me. Expand your capacity to love. Blow the box off was what this gospel looks like. This thing's for anybody and everybody. Every race. Every background. From the poorest to the richest. This thing's for everybody. And maybe you're in the seats tonight wondering about this whole thing, this, this city on a hill thing, and man, I, I, I don't even, maybe you're thinking, I don't even know about this Jesus thing, like, I, I would love to be part of this hilltop experience, but I don't even know the way in, you know, like, when I was 21 years old, I lost my best friend to cancer. This was beyond a best friend. This was a brother. I went on every family vacation with that family. And uh, I found out he had cancer when, in, in April of 2010. And I contended and I, I prayed. And there, was, there was a night that I was on the ground. I was screaming. My hands hurt the next day because I was punching the floor. I was yelling, weeping with my dad next to me on my bed, yelling, weeping, contending for David's life. And then on April 7th of 2011, David passed away. He went home to be with Jesus. And it's the craziest thing I've ever experienced. I went to his house a few days later and uh, just hugged his dad and we just wept. And the reason we're weeping is it's just so final. I don't know if you've experienced death, but 
is just so final. It's, it's done. The finality of death is, is overwhelming. It's more real than anything I'd ever experienced. And to be honest, I, I'd never quite experienced the love of God even in that type of a real way. And I was broken. But in Song of Songs, I believe it's chapter six, it says that there is this love that is, is as strong as death. And there's jealousy that is as demanding as the grave. The grave. So as final as death is, so is God's love for you. As certain as the grave is for each and every one of us, that's how certain God's love is for each and every one of us. Paul says, I'm convinced. Neither death, nor life, angels, nor demons, present, nor future, nor any power. So I'm convinced that height, nor depth, nor any created thing could ever separate us from the love of God. See, God's love for you is certain, and I am convinced because I've seen too much to ever think that his love for you isn't grand enough, it's not big enough, that his grace isn't enough for you. There's no one in this room could, that could ever convince me that God's grace is not good enough. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to just extend an invitation. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equippers Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equippuschurch.com.